Tim, episode 20 of the Stats of Matter podcast is coming in hot. Uh, we're going to quickly recap Thursday Night Football, the battle for Florida. Uh, we're going to break down the next round of the NBA playoffs. The fight for Lord Stanley's Cup continues. Uh, a little bit of Major League Baseball postseason action and golf. We're going to talk golf this week. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's time to talk a little uh, a little science golf, if you will. Uh, yeah, the guy who won takes a very unique approach to the game. Rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, he also drops bombs. So, lots to talk about there. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh, and if you guys are looking forward to this episode, too, you can find all the other previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, Apple, Google, and Spotify. And, of course, if you want to see how good we are with social media, you can follow us there, too. At Stats Podcast on Twitter and at Stats the Matter on Instagram. Now, let's go. All right. Thursday Night Football just wrapped up. The battle for Florida. The the mustache versus the beard. Uh, it was not close. Okay. Uh, the mustache mania might be subsiding because Gardner Minshew overthrew a wide open Gary and Conley. And he coughed up a fumble deep in his own red zone. Um, and, you know, when you look at what the beard did on the other side, the Fitz magic just continued here. Two passing touchdowns. One on the ground. The Dolphins' defense was just swarming all of last night. Uh, Brian Flores has done an excellent job just getting that team up to up to speed there. And you have to think of all of the previous disciples of Belichick that we've talked about. Flores seems to be one of the best. I don't know how he was overlooked. I don't understand why he was. You know, obviously you want the guy to get the opportunity, but my goodness, like with what Matt Patricia has not been able to do in Detroit, and you look at what Flores has been able to do to turn that team around, uh, it's just great. Here, here's a free tip for you. Some free smoke, as as we'd like to say. Hashtag free smoke. If you play fantasy, you need to hit the waiver wire right now and see if James Robinson is available. Chances are he is because most people thought, oh, Leonard Fournette will probably be the back. Well, obviously we know Leonard Fournette is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, and James Robinson was a steal on the waiver wire. He wasn't going drafted in, in most fantasy drafts. And in the last three games, He's got three touchdowns, okay? And he was a problem. Had the, the the Jags actually kept some sort of semblance of the game about them, he probably would have been even bigger than he was last night. But, yeah, you know, back-to-back outings of 20-plus fantasy points in non-PPR, you'll take that to the bank every single day. He caught six passes for 84 yards. He had 46 rushing yards and two TDs. So, yeah, if he's on the waiver, you need to go grab him. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Saxonville and what Marone has been able to do. I think a lot of people forget that just a few years ago, they were going to maybe go to the Super Bowl, but on 4th and 15, Stefan Gilmore snuffed out a Blake Bortle. I mean, no one would have thought that would have gone the other way. And since that time, the team hasn't imploded, but they have never been able to recapture whatever magic they seem to have there. You had a lot of big-name players. Now you have a team that's kind of rebuilding and maybe Scrappiesville is what you want to call them instead of Saxonville because they're really the defense here is just not doing what it needs to do. Uh, I, I think this is probably the end of the road for Doug Marone. I know we talked about Matty P possibly being in his last season, uh, but you, you got to think here. There are, are going to be some head coaching opportunities. We know that hopefully this isn't just a, a preview of things to come, but Doug Marone had this team going and then the momentum just kind of evaporated. So if he can get it back, maybe he stays. But I, I tend to think that this is probably the end of the road for Doug Marone. So uh, that was the Thursday night 
football recap. One thing that's funny is that everyone on the on the national broadcast picked the the Jaguars to win, mm-hmm. and now both teams are one and two. And you know, <laughs> post game, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick wore an open chested shirt that uh, that I don't know if you, did you see it? It, it was uh, it, it's a button up shirt that had a whole bunch of electric colored brains because if you didn't know, he went to Harvard. So uh, <laughs> it, it, if that was on your bingo card last night, you probably had quite a few drinks. I do think Fitzpatrick will probably be a good commentator in the uh in the style of Tony Romo when his career is over but that guy has been on what six NFL teams and he's beaten the Jags on every single one of them I mean it's it's crazy yeah I was expecting that game to be a little bit closer uh I actually was hoping it was going to turn out to be more of a fun game to watch because you know sort of the history between those two sort of come out of nowhere find some success um unfortunately it's one of those games that uh I think Minshew was starting to show some of his colors a little bit more. I think the first two games we saw were a little bit of a fluke. Uh, like we've been preaching this entire time. We don't really know what we're going to be getting out of teams for another couple weeks. Might be the same thing for the Dolphins. I keep waiting for Fitzmagic, quote-unquote, to come to an end or at least peter out. But, I mean, good on him for you know putting a scrappy game together. Uh, is the Jaguars. So... Um, I agree. I think he would be a great commentator. I think his his off field personality is a little bit larger than his on the field performances, which kind of keep him in the conversation. Um, but yeah, I was I was sad to see that that game wasn't closer, and that it wasn't you know, I I don't want to call it a playoff feel to it, but I thought it would be a good shootout between those two. Yeah, we we did say in our prediction that we thought it was going to be a boat race because most people in Jacksonville would be near their boats, but uh, it was not a boat race. There was a boat that went sinking pretty quickly. So uh, the Tua cries are going to be pushed off the field for at least a couple more weeks. Um, Yep. I mean, that's good, I guess. But uh, all right. Moving on. Uh, The NBA playoffs continue to roll on. We're in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference Finals. Uh, The last time we had spoke, of, of course, Celtics, you know, beat the Raptors in game seven and they lost game one of uh, the Eastern conference finals. And then they lost game two. Um, after that game, there was a lot of hubbub about a roaring from the Celtics locker room uh, where people were shouting at each other. Maybe some things were being thrown around. Uh, game three was a Celtics victory. And they, they, I feel like they got their momentum back to a, the point where, you know, they could finally hold on to a lead that they had built up. And then of course, game four, they went right back to what they've been doing all along, which is, leading for an unbelievable amount of minutes and then just failing to to capitalize on that lead. Um, the Heat have a a meteor of a star in Tyler Hero. Um, you know, he's not even, what, he's, I think he's like 20, 21? He's 20, 20, that's yeah. Am- that's amazing. And he, in, in game four, he put up over 30 points. He, he just couldn't be contained. It was almost as if Brad Stevens – and the the Celtics thinking pieces were like, listen, we really need to, to take Butler out of the game. So whoever this hero guy is, like, we, we won't pay attention to him. Except that's what's been dooming teams throughout the postseason. So I don't understand why that happened. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. super frustrating. Everything that guy did, he, he either had one person next to him where he could shake them out of their shoes, and then he was wide open. He was just on fire the entire night. Um, of course, there's a guy on the, the heat by the name of Duncan Robinson. He's from York, Maine. Shout out to Duncan Robinson. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that at all. You know, most people think that nobody from the professional sports side comes from Maine, <laughs> but I mean, he he was born in Maine. He did play most of his ball in New Hampshire, 
at prep schools before going to D3 and then playing at Michigan and going undrafted. So shout out to Duncan, uh, keeping it for the New England folks. Uh, Tyler Hero uh, was one of those guys that you just sort of watched on the court. And you know, every time he got his hands on the ball, we were going to be in some trouble. Uh, it was frustrating. I know basketball is not a singular sport, but every single time you're like, why can't you just stop this kid? Because he made some big time moves. He put up a total of 37 points, beating out the previous record held by Dwayne Wade, who put up 27 points back in 2003. Uh, he also set a heat record for points off the bench in a playoff game, and he's tied with Manu Ginobili for the most games in the postseason with 10 or more points by a rookie. So Crazy. every time he came out, you knew he was going to be doing something. It was just completely unreal. He made 14 of 21 from the floor and 5 of 10 from three-point range and became the second 20-year-old to score 37 points in a playoff game. And it's a pretty good company, a pretty good crowd to be a part of because the only other person that's done that more was Magic Johnson back in 1980 with the Lakers. Whew. Yeah. Look, no. the, this, this, is, this is the craziest thing, right? The Celtics have just too much talent. They don't seem to be gelling together. They don't seem to be playing team basketball. Uh, I've, I've had it. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. super frustrated. Game five is tonight uh, at 830. And if there's ever a time that the Celtics need to scrap every ounce of fight they have, this is it. I mean, 3-1, they're down. Yep. I don't want to see any more zero-point halves for Jason Tatum. I don't want no more one for nine from the three-point line for Kemba Walker. I don't want any more bickering about who's taking the shots, if it's Marcus Smart or anything like that. We need to – that we – the Celtics need to start, <laughs> like – Get in their act together. They yeah. like I don't care. Like we we can't have these locker room explosions every time there's a loss because the losses all look the same. You lead, yep. you relinquish a 15 point lead. Just start playing team basketball. Get your own rebounds. Really like just control the paint. You understand now that Tyler Hero is gonna just cut you in a thousand ways. You know yep. that Butler, every time that you foul him, you know he's gonna make the points. So like can we can we move off this? Can we switch? Can we find like a way to sort of get these guys like off the court? Like it doesn't matter whatever cushion you put, they're they're coming back up. So, yeah, and and each night it seems like there's a gap that happens somewhere that wasn't there the night before. Like Tatum going with zero points in the first half and then coming out and putting up like record numbers in the second half. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. He's like at the at the tail end of that game, if he had made two buckets. Early in that game, it's a different scenario. But the fact he put up literally zero points, and yeah. I thought watching it, he may have been injured. I thought there was something that was going on, but to turn out he just wasn't playing well is a little bit of a shock to me. So definitely a little surprised by that. Not quite sure how you know that played out the way that it did. But yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, right now, the Heat have not only all the momentum, but all the statistics behind them, and they haven't lost any of these games yet. So... There's a lot of work that's going to have to go into this for them to try and overcome or to, you know, make any sort of game out of this. But it's not looking great. Uh, they are tied for the lead with these three and one come behind leads and the uh, come behind wins in the postseason. That's actually only two other times. They're still two for eleven all time. So there, there is a small chance. Yeah, it doesn't dope. look right though. Yeah. yeah it it doesn't. And and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why we obviously, you know, we said, Hey, Hayward is injured. Bring him back when you need him. Uh, put up the yeah. bat signal. I mean, shout out to Gordon Hayward. His wife just uh, had their fourth child, I believe the other day. Um, yeah. You know, Steve so was able to meet the child from the bubble, but 
we we need the big guys to stand up this week. Um, yeah. Tice has been doing great in in limited moments, but for whatever reason, there's just so much. Let's get it to the marquee players. Like I, I just want to get back yep. to the scrappy pre-bubble Celtics ball where it didn't matter who had it. You know, people were scoring. You you could run teams off the floor. I think the worst part about this this game four loss the other night, Tim, is the fact they lost by three points. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you said it best. You, you throw in a couple of those buckets earlier, and then you're not just not coming down at the two minutes like every other basketball game that we run it's into. Absolutely and, terrible. And Smart can't guard everybody. He's one of the best defensive players on that team. The dude is but, giving everything he has for this yeah. team right now. And if everyone else in the team did the exact same thing, diving out of bounds, like it doesn't matter. There's no fans in the stands. Like that dude is going for every ball. Yeah. He's holding on to balls. If if it's a ground ball, if it's a jump, he, like he does exactly what you want. So why isn't the rest of the team standing up and like at least attempting to do the same thing? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. You're in foul trouble, but guess what? Your back's against the wall here. I don't care if half the team fouls out. You need to win this game. Yep. But if you're going to talk about a, a series lead that's three to one, uh, we also got to talk about the Nuggets because. They are the first team in NBA history to come back from a three to one series deficit, and they're going to have to do it again this time against the Lakers. Uh, they don't really have a choice in that. I, I think that we talked earlier about Denver's team chemistry and, and the rotation and how guys are gelling because they've been together for a while, and that works. And we said, you know, you're going to have to do that and more against the Lakers. Um, mm-hmm. They lost the first couple, they won the third, and then they lost last night. Uh, JaVale McGee is headed to the bench for the second time in this postseason, and Dwight Howard's back in. And this kind of reflects what a friend of mine, Robert, told me, that uh, if the Lakers play the right way, they have the size to beat anyone, and that includes the Celtics. And unfortunately, I think that's just been bolstered by the fact that he said that like two weeks ago. And last night, Jamal Murray had the viral eye-popping play of the, you know, I don't even know how you describe that layup, but he had it on LeBron. It was a poster moment. Uh, And then LeBron was like, okay, since none of you guys want to guard him, I'll guard him. And then yep. took Murray out of the game. And the Nuggets really, after that, like they just they couldn't find a way to keep it going. And now you're going to bring another big guy into that game to possibly take out uh, Nikola Jokic. Um, Silver Screen and Roll, which is a, an SB Nation website, you know, wrote in a game preview that Howard's really been effective against the Nuggets and Nikola. So, like, for him to be switching back in shows that obviously the Lakers know that their size can, can be an advantage when they need it. Um, you know, McGee was more of the past that. The shorter, let's go ahead and just kind of run guys off the boards, but now they're not worried about that. Uh, That's not the lineup you necessarily want to see for this game, and uh, this is the problem. They write that in a 35.5 partial possessions while facing Howard, Jokic has gone three for seven from the field, turned the ball Mm -hmm. over five times, and the Nuggets only scored 26 points as a team. The Celtics, we we already made the joke earlier in an episode about how they're making you know turnovers like Mike Pastry. Shout out to Mike Pastry's in in Boston, but – they're just continuing to do that, and that's also like kind of what's down in the Celtics. But the Nuggets have played, for the most part, mistake-free basketball, and they're going to need to continue to do that if they want to have any shot against the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, it's it. They're not making any mistakes, but they're also not making any baskets part of the time. Like Jokic had zero points in the fourth quarter again. He had zero points in the last fourth quarter. He only had sixteen points in the entire night. So when your team and the talent that is surrounding your star player, who's become Jamal Murray, uh, aren't putting up points, you're not going to do very well against the Lakers, who have guys like Davis and LeBron, who combined consistently for 60-plus points. Uh, They've done it 19 times this season. They just 
last game was the 19th time. So if you, if you're it's two like, stars, what are you supposed to do when you have two people that just put up like like 60 points? Like yeah, and of their points, 25 of those came from second chances, which kind of harkens back to what we were talking about with the Celtics not playing. I mean, there were points in that game where there were six or seven attempts uh, or rebounds that came back that the Heat picked up in one possession. And you were just watching and saying, get get your hands on the ball, do something, stop them from shooting, because it just kept getting the ball and shooting, kept getting the ball and shooting. And that's exactly what happened last night with the, the Lakers. They 25 of their points came off of second chances. So it's, if you control up close around the hoop, get the rebounds, you put them up, that's going to put you up. If your two stars are combining for over half of the points on the team, it's really, really hard to play against that. We we talked about it before. We know the surrounding cast around those guys is a little bit questionable as far as point production and whatnot. Um, Kuzma, those guys are pretty inconsistent. Dwight Howard is another one. They're obviously bringing him in for his defensive play, not necessarily for his offensive side. So he may not put out a lot of output, but stopping the other team's star from one of their stars from putting up points is just as effective as scoring points on your own. Uh, so we'll see how that kind of plays out, but it's, it's not looking good. Um, the Lakers are 14 and zero when leading by three and one in postseason yeah. history. So oh that's not great. Um, however, the nuggets, they do trail three to one, but it's for the third straight time. And they won the previous two. So, Again, there is a little bit of hope going into this one. It's a little bit like the Celtics where they've come back and won uh, before, but they lost, you know, nine other times. So it's not it's not looking good there either. I think both of those teams are in trouble. I think the Celtics come back and they put up a win in the next game, but I think they ultimately fall short. And I think the Nuggets, it's just LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis are just – too much. You have two top-tier all-stars that you're going up against every single night who are playing very well. And if one of them stumbles, and let's say, God forbid, he only puts up 26 points like LeBron did, Davis comes in and picks up the the weight the there and puts up the rest of the 60 points. So yep. um, it's not looking good for either one of those. I think we're heading for a Heat-Lakers series, and I honestly don't know if the, the Heat stand a chance against the Lakers just yeah. because of how close they're playing the Celtics. The Celtics are obviously a good team. They've made it this far, but it's not quite the same as what this Lakers team is putting up in the postseason. Regular season, it would have been a toss-up for me. I probably would have leaned Celtics just because of the amount of players who can be productive and make plays versus the Lakers who have some of those consistency issues. But right now, the Lakers are firing on all cylinders, and everyone else keeps finding little gaps in their uh, in their game plans. Yeah, I will say that um, if the Celtics do lose this series tonight, uh, yeah. I'm just going to blame load management. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, you know, Hayward had some rest. You know, uh, Aris Cantor, like, come on, that's a big guy. You didn't have him and Tice out there rolling and switching on people. So, like, I don't yeah. know where that's been. So, I, look, what we're trying to say here is postseason basketball. Both series are three to one. In a perfect world, it would be Lakers Celtics. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen, most likely. Nah, uh, so, I think I would also like to see a Nuggets Heat final. Most of uh, most of America probably wouldn't, um, but I think we are going to get Lakers Heat. And ultimately, I think LeBron's going to bring home another Larry Brown. That's just what it is. All righty. We talked about the NBA, and we got to talk about the NHL. They're they're fighting for Lord Stanley's Cup right now. Um, 
those damn Tampa Bay Lightning made it, and they're facing the Dallas Stars. And, of course, Tampa Bay's up two games to one. Look, Dallas came out in game one, and they were swinging. They put up four goals. Tampa Bay put up one. But they proceeded to drop the next two by a combined uh, four goals. They lost game two, three to two to Tampa Bay, and then five to two. If you're taking a look at what Tampa Bay has done and why I think they're so pesky, not just, just from a Bruins fan's perspective, it's just that they're really consistent and that they've always been that way for a long time. Um, it's sort of like how you have the New England teams that don't like the New York teams because, for example, the Sox and the Yankees like always play each other with a little bit of vitriol. But mm-hmm. for you know the, the current time being, the New York teams just seem to have a little more juice uh, and that's kind of what you got going on here. So NBC Sports writes about the consistency that the Tampa Bay Lightning have that Nikita Kucherov, who was the previous season MVP, I mean, he's really playing like it. And Tyler Sagan mm-hmm. for, the, for the Stars is not. Um, they say that the Lightning have been one of the league's best teams and Kucherov one of the best players for six years now. That's that's yep. crazy. Like you usually hear about someone just being good for a couple seasons and they get a big payday and they go to another team, um, you know, except for guys like Ovechkin. But now because of the way that, Tampa got bounced last year. Everyone's saying, yeah, but. Well, right now, they seem to be super consistent, and they seem to be pouring on the goals when it needs to happen. So unless Dallas puts on its big boy pants and, and starts to try and to you know, limit Kucherov and, and his defensemen from putting one over on them and just flooding the boards, uh, yeah. this, this game one victory is going to look like a fluke because, as NBC Sports writes further, that among defensemen who have logged at least 200 minutes of five-on-five hockey – Kucherov ranks second in total shot attempt, second in goals for percentage, second in expected goals percentage, fifth in scoring chance, and second in high danger scoring chance. And in most of those categories, the only players that rank ahead of him are both of his defensemen, Victor Heldman and Palat. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking, Dallas, yes, you're not supposed to be here, apparently. (laughs) Yes, you are playing with house money. That means you need to go for it here. Uh, The Lightning are just content to, I think, what they're doing right now, honestly, and I've only seen, you know, a couple of the games. But to me, it looks like they're revving at 5,000 RPMs right now. They're not they're not really tearing away from you, but they're not idling either. They're doing exactly what they need to do, and they're keeping the pace just uncomfortable enough for you to not come back. Like, if you're – like, we said about this in the previous recap. If you're going to lose a game 3-2, okay. When you lose a game 5-2, after you lose a game 3-2, that begins to say something about you. And I said, you know, look, the Stars have been in OT, and, and they've won some of those games. We need an OT game here. We need to see the Stars put as much effort as they possibly can because the Lightning are so dangerous and consistent that the Stars are going to have to put on the goals to, to keep the pressure on and stem the tide. And as magical of a season as Dallas has had thus far, if they don't start playing the hearts out, I mean, the series is over, and Tampa Bay will will take it. So game five, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, and – we hope we see something from them, but more to follow on that. Yeah, it's not it's not looking good. I mean, we we said it before. Sagan, in my opinion, isn't really holding up his end of the bargain. He hasn't kind of materialized into the play you were hoping he was going to be and help carry them through a postseason. And it's really hard to go up against a team that's got players like Kucherov and Hedman. Hedman has the single season postseason record. He's like third on the list, you know, defenseman. It's um, like they're almost going against like the LeBron and Kobe of like the NHL right now. Like that, yeah. that is not the draw that you wanted. You wanted the team that was facing the lightning before to, to just do their due diligence. And you might've had maybe an easier walk in the park, but now you got to face the monsters on the ice. It's just, it's not good. Yeah. Kucherov has 30 points this postseason. <laughs> He's like, 
he's ranked sixth amongst like European born players, like as most in a single preseason. So that is a uh, single postseason. That's unreal. Like you have a defenseman who's put up 10 points. You have Kucherov who's put up 30 points. That's 40 points combined between those two just in this playoff run. That's unreal. And if you're not at the top of your game and putting up points, or at least stopping them from putting up points, that combo, it's it's a one-two punch that you just you can't overcome. It's and it's not the, a good look. Yeah. The the embassy NBC, sorry, uh sports story talked about how Kucherov hasn't had a, a a stretch of longer than three games where he's not put at least two points up. So yeah. like you, you just cannot you cannot allow them to run away with this thing. And I just feel like right now, you know, the this damn Tampa Bay Lightning are saying, listen, we don't need to go to fifth gear because you can't yeah. catch us in fourth. And, and I mean that's, Unfortunately, if, if there wasn't a single sign that things were not going in the Dallas Stars way, Steve Stamkos came back and scored. He hasn't played a game since February 25th and scored a goal in his first game back. And you which, can't even uh, say that's like you don't have. I'm sure there's some sort of record there. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's brutal. Brutal, yeah. brutal. All right. Moving on to the Major League Baseball here. Look, we. Bless the daughter's heart. Okay, I, I just got to go and say it out there. I mean, Red Sox. I hope you look at this one. <laughs> with, I hope. I hope that whatever rebuild you think you're doing is going to match whatever the Dodgers are doing right now. Because um, obviously, the the Dodgers won their division. Um, Mookie Betts has the Major League Baseball top selling jersey thus far for the 2020 mm-hmm. season, and clear uh, front runner for MVP. Oh my gosh! It's just. It's just. It's just, just this is the hits that keep on coming, and I am just—I'm just not a fan. No, I mean the playoff picture is starting to unfold. We're getting our first look at what the first round might look at. There's still uh, might look like there's still some things that kind of have to shake out before we really know what these matchups are going to be. Despite the Yankees going into the season as one of the favorites to take it, they did come up a little bit short in the AL East behind the Rays, surprisingly enough, who took the the number one spot there. But they're still a Vegas favorite. Uh, or one of the top two favorites to take, you know, the whole prize. But the matchups uh, for the American League, it looks like it's going to be number one Tampa versus number eight Toronto, number two Oakland versus uh, number seven Cleveland, number three Minnesota versus number six Houston, boo, number four Chicago White Sox uh, against the New York Yankees. Um, the National League side, you got the Dodgers in Cincinnati, the number one versus number eight, number two Atlanta versus uh, the seven. San Francisco seed, Chicago Cubs versus number six, Miami, San Diego, and St. Louis. Again, there are still some games that need to be played. This was uh, through Wednesday, uh, what we're looking at here. Um, it's looking like this is how things are going to shake out. Uh, but DraftKings Sportsbook has the Dodgers and the Yankees still uh, in the top two. The Dodgers by a very, very wide margin. Um And then from there, it goes Tampa, Oakland, San Diego, White Sox, Atlanta, Minnesota, and then uh, the Chicago Cubs at a plus 1,500. Uh, But it's not all smooth sailing for the Dodgers or the Yankees, though. Uh, It's looked like it coming in, but the Yankees have been a little streaky. They've had some slumps. They've had their ups and downs, both on the pitching and on the batting side. Um, Sorry, the Dodgers look like it's going to be the Reds, and if that's the case... They're a top 10 team with as far as pitching in their ERA, and they do fall just a little bit behind the Dodgers. So it's going to heavily depend on the bullpens going into the season, as we see every postseason. 
But uh, if that's what we're looking at as far as starters, not a single pitcher on the starters uh, rotation have pitched a complete game yet. All season. Just, just crazy. Yeah. The, the Reds have a slight edge. Several of their guys have gone the distance. So if you are looking towards your bullpen to carry you through this, obviously if you're not depleting them early on, that's that's going to help. Um, yeah, I, I think that matchup right there is just like it's good because yeah. the Reds from Cincinnati have definitely uh, been, I'm not going to say outright surprising, but, but I do follow a lot of what they do on social media, and they're able to generate hits when it counts. Now, the the bullpen strength may lie with them, but we know ultimately the hitting strength lies with the Dodgers. So I, I, uh, I want to yeah. say we'll have a good series there. I do think ultimately the Dodgers will take that, but uh, the Reds, I think, can make it into Rosante. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if they get past the Reds, it's not like the Padres are any light on the bats either. Uh, they have a crazy middle lineup with Titus Jr., Machado, and Hosmer that all go in order, and their pitching has been carried pretty well through by both Davis and Lamette, so that's not going to be an easy out for them either, so... You get the one-two punch in Cincinnati, which tends to surprise a lot of people. I mean, they haven't been part of the conversation in quite a while, but to see them come in and potentially put a game up against the Dodgers um, could be a fun one to watch. I think the Padres will probably be a little bit more of an interesting matchup because of the meaty order that the Padres have, and it kind of complements what the Dodgers are, are rolling out. But on the other side, got the Yankees who are likely to face the White Sox, and if that happens, it may turn into a pitching duel. Uh, the Yankees pitching has been doing well, but they stumbled a little bit towards the end there, uh, and they can't afford to have any sort of slump. Uh, the White Sox pitching has been solid for most of the year. They average, uh, several of their starters average less than four runs per game, and I know a lot of the conversation for the Yankees has been Judge, Stanton, and everybody just putting up bombs, and they got a lot of these circus-style games where they are just, you know, the other day, they had like five or six that went in order or five or six home runs and like seven at-bats or, or something crazy like that. But the White Sox actually rank higher than the Red Sox do when it comes to home runs. They're only behind the Dodgers and the Braves. So if it does turn into a pitching duel, some of those long balls that might get let up a little early may make the difference in some of the early games or some of these games where everyone's sort of on the same page or bullpens rested and it does come down to one or two hits that are really going to sway that. So I think that one's going to be a better matchup than what we're expecting. Um, I think the road for the Dodgers might actually be a little bit easier than the road is for the Yankees, which I think is why the the Dodgers are more heavily favored. Um, but that one has the potential to be a good matchup. All that being said, we can pour one out for the Red Sox. They yeah. uh, Not only were they bad, uh, there were only two other teams in the entire MLB that had a worse winning percentage, and it was the Pirates and the Rangers, and it wasn't by much. So almost scraping into bottom of the barrel, bottom of the AL East, 100% by a very, very large, large portion, um, and almost just the worst overall. I mean, we lost to the Orioles like 13-1 to 1 the other day. It was We beat the Yankees. Yeah, and then rolled in, and then rolled up against the uh, Orioles, and just laid over and died. Is what yeah. happened. Yeah, I think I think there was one of those games they went nine to, you know, nine to one. But, yeah. um, 
you know, we're, we're talking about how the playoff picture is coming into focus here. You know, for the most part, depending on the division you look at, it's pretty much set. All the locks are are there. But uh, 538 had some incredible surprising teams of the short MLB season. And uh, at just over 14% chance is, is the Marlins. And I remember when we first started talking on the pod about, oh, my God, look at this outbreak. MLB is trying to travel. This is it. They're toast. You know tank do whatever you whatever you can uh they were significantly sidelined for those covid tests and yet they're they're able to at least make a playoff run um <laughs> to try and win the the world series as the miami marlins when they were the florida marlins in, tw- in 2003 so uh they, they've had some strong seasons from their shortstop they've you know the article says that of course they got their pitchers that are obviously doing what they need to do and they, and they have a prospect that's kind of broken out. So they, they've definitely gotten lucky, but you would think in the grand scheme of things for a team that should have been sidelined by COVID. I mean, we're, we're here for it. I, I, every team in Florida right now, with the exception of, of the Jacksonville Jaguars seems to be finding, you know, some yeah. sort of someone to keep going. Uh, and then of course they had the giants as another, maybe, maybe surprise team. They have around the same, you know, preseason playoff odds, that uh the, the Marlins did, but think about it. They lost their manager, they lost their yep. pitcher. Buster Posey opted out due to COVID concerns. Like they looked like they were down. We we asked one of our podcast guests, hey, like what what do you think the future is for the Giants? You know? And he said, Yeah, <laughs> how long do you yeah. got? <laughs> it might yeah. it might take a little bit of a wait. But they they have some outfielders that are doing great things. They've had yep. franchise standbys that are trying to put something together. I mean, you could say that this team is like the oldest in the league because it kind of is. And all these franchise standbys and journeymen or, or previous team throwaways are just coming together and you're getting some semblance of baseball. So like, obviously whatever it is that the giants are doing is keeping it together. Are they going to make the postseason? I mean, we'll obviously have to wait and see, Uh, but you got to hand it to at least those two teams, two teams, one that was, that was a bit hard by COVID and another one, where I mean, like your your star players are are leaving. You don't have the the leadership, but somehow you're keeping it going. Like, come on. Yeah, I do. Th- I do think this season's going to give us some artificial perspective on some teams because it is shortened. I mean, the Giants got in as a 500 team. They won 28 games this year. 20, 28 games is all it took for them to to get in. Um, by comparison, the Red Sox uh, won 22 games. So, as bad as the Red Sox were. They were that close to, to having a similar record. So yeah. I think I think when we look back at this season and you say, Oh, well, the Giants made it to the or, or the Reds made it to the, you know, top seed in the world or in the sorry, the playoffs. As long as people remember you played like half of what a normal season would be. And a lot of times teams don't really start making big playoff moves until we get to like the all star break. Yeah. And we just had the entire season happened before that. So you had a couple weeks. You really only had, you know, six or seven starts for a lot of your starters. If they had any hitches or things that they needed to work out, you didn't even really have time to get that done until we were already halfway through what this season was. If anybody missed the start, there's a lot of weird things that are going on. I think we're going to have somewhat of a messy, maybe quick exit by a lot of these teams that are getting paired up against like the higher seed, like Toronto and Tampa Bay. That one's going to be messed, and I imagine that one will be over pretty quick. Uh, Oakland, Cleveland will probably be over pretty quick. Um, 
Cincinnati matches up a little better to the Dodgers than some of these other teams do as far as, you know, stat comparisons and whatnot. So that one, at least on paper, looks like it could be a bit closer. But I imagine the first round of this is going to be pretty messy, and we won't be until the second or third round when we start seeing some higher-quality playoff baseball because a lot of these teams, under normal circumstances, probably wouldn't even be flirting with the the playoffs, yeah. but some of this expanded, expanded playoff and shortened seasons... It's a little bit, a little bit more chaotic right now. All right, more to follow on that. But uh, in the season, we didn't think we were going to get any postseason baseball. We are right there, and I don't know if you know this, Tim, but it's October next week, so we are finally going to get October, October baseball. October baseball, yeah, looking pretty good. Sam, we can't talk about this week without talking about the U.S. Open that just took place this last weekend. Yeah, it was a messy, but I'd say a pretty glorious weekend that was led by a 21 year old. Matthew Wolf, who held the lead for 54 total holes going into the Sunday. But man, there was nothing stopping the mad scientist yeah. golf juggernaut hitting the ball a million, million miles uh, in Bryson DeChambeau. And he just rolled everybody on Sunday. Shot a three under 67. Uh, if you took a look at the leaderboard, it, uh, it was a mess. It was a mess. And there is just nothing stopping him. Um, one of the obvious takeaways from the weekend is something we'll probably see discussed over the next few months. Uh, probably gaining a little bit, uh, a little bit of momentum because I know it's a conversation we've started over the last few years with equipment and ability and strength training and whatnot. But the distance of these uh, these golfers now is just unreal. Uh, some of it helped take a lot of the challenge out of the game. At the tail end, it put him in some uh, pretty favorable positions for a tournament that's designed to really test your golf medal. Uh, it's really skill-based. Uh, he was actually the only player that finished um, under par for the tournament. Uh, even was the next best score. So it's going to be someone, or it's going to be something that we talk about quite a bit going into some of the tournaments probably over the next few years. I know there's lots of call to action by the PGA to get in and really find ways to help either make these difficult. You can't just keep adding yardage because they're just going to continue to, to make equipment to do that. I mean, we're talking about a guy who uh, early in the year hit a drive for 425 yards. I mean, obviously there's, you know, some harder surfaces and some bounces and some rolls that, you know, play into that. But, I mean, the guy averaged over the weekend a 325-yard drive and was only seventh in the field as far as length goes. It was just, it, it's crazy. And it's weird to see, you know, some of these courses that play so difficult still give up these long yardages. Um, but overall, the weekend was uh, difficult for the rest of the field. I mean, it wasn't, he wasn't without his own shortcomings he only hit 41 percent of his fairways throughout the week which means a lot of his gameplay really came down not only to distance but it also came down to his irons and his short game uh, he's one of the tour leaders i think he's ranked like sixth or fifth or sixth in uh strokes gained uh from putts so obviously it's not all just the long game he's putting it together quite a bit uh, but it is a course that really took some names this weekend. If you look at the top 10, uh, there was uh, five golfers tied for eighth place. 
And that was at six over. They had Zalatoris, Dustin Johnson, Tony Finau, uh, Rory, Webb Simpson, Justin Thomas, uh, and Zach Johnson, who all put up high scores and chalked up bogeys the entire week. But every single one of them put up bogeys on Sunday, uh, and all of them ended up finishing at six over. And when you're talking about majors, especially if you're an outsider or a casual fan looking at scores like that, it's got to be a little confusing to see the entire field because you have guys who just didn't stand a chance. Some of the veterans like Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth who got bounced early in the tournament or just struggled the entire time. 10, 13, 18 over was not at all uh, out of the realm of possibility for even some of the best golfers that are out there. But back to the long game, it really took a lot of the challenge out. It He was able to clear some of the more difficult parts of some of these fairways even if he wasn't accurate, it still set him up for decent follow-up approach shots where, like on the fourth, uh, that shot looked terrible, and he ended up hitting out and put himself in position for her birdie. The final round was a 67. It was the lowest score by a winner of any of the U.S. Opens played on the West Course, and it was, again, the only subpar round on Sunday, and subpar in this case uh, actually means very good uh, versus <laughs> you know what subpar normally would mean. Um, in the six-stroke victory he took, it was actually the largest margin since Martin Kmart's seven back at Pinehurst in 2014. It also set the longest driving range, uh, sorry, the longest distance average of any U.S. Open winner. Um, but again, he was only seventh in the field, so you got to start to wonder what they can even do to make some of these changes, and it's just not possible. What's, what's crazy about DeChambeau is how polarizing he is, and what you've started to see over the last year or two is the consistent success, right? This is his first career major win. Uh, He's had zero top five finishes in all 14 of his major starts coming into 2020, so it is a constantly evolving game, but for a guy who takes a super scientific approach to the entire process, uh, if you ever wanted to kind of get a picture of what that was like, listen to one of the conversations he's having with his caddy or on the range. They're talking uh, air density instead of talking about whether it's cool or warm. Uh, That helps trigger some of his shots. But he also looked at the bag and said, okay, I'm not smart enough to learn the different lengths for all these different clubs. So what he came up with was a unified swing and a unified bag where all the clubs are roughly the same length the head weight's the same. Uh, the lie angles are the same. There's some differences in head weight, obviously, but the goal was to set up his club. So all he had to focus on was le- learning and perfecting one swing, and he let the clubs do a lot of the work. Uh, he grinds it out on the range day in and day out. Um, that's where he ends up spending most of his time. And in doing so, he's figured out a way to have you know, his very unique swing, if you've ever seen it, where his elbows are locked and his arms look super uncomfortable, but it's actually really sort of intuitive and smart approach to swings because a lot of people struggle with varying club lengths. You'll hear some guys that say, oh, I can hit my five well, but I can't hit my three iron very well, or I struggle with my short irons and I, and, and I hit my long irons. Well, it's because there's subtle differences between between each one of those and each one generally requires a little bit of an adjustment in your swing imagine making all those clubs the same length so all you have to do is worrying about 
flush swings every time. I mean, there's that's oversimplifying it. There's a lot more that goes into it for him, but he's been able to narrow it down to very, very specific angles. And I think long-term that's helping him stay consistent. I mean, there's some trade-off when he's bad, he's consistently bad, but for the most part, he is just chugging along and every week he's gotten better and better and better. Potting was on point. Uh, he still led the field in strokes gained by putts. His irons, again, were phenomenal. So it isn't, it isn't all distance, but that was the biggest takeaway from the weekend. Uh, Matt Wolf, 21 years old, one of the youngest leaders, uh, I think dating back to uh, like Jordan Spieth, but very much in the same fashion. Going into the weekend, he just got overcome by a better player. He didn't collapse. He didn't fall apart. It's just is what it is. And ironically, he lost by six strokes, which is exactly what Jordan did back when he led uh, his major when he was 21 and then ultimately came up short. So it was a great weekend. Um, if you're a golf purist, you probably enjoyed it a little bit more than someone who likes getting or watching players get out and throw up, you know, 13, 18 under. In my opinion, I don't think majors should be capable of generating those sort of scores. They should be the hardest courses you can play on. I think there should be more focus on, you know, woods, irons, and putts than there are distance. I mean, distance is obviously part of the game that really matters. But you have guys who can hit the ball as a million miles, but they never made it away from their, you know, home driving range or at best maybe made it to some of the you know, smaller tournament brackets, but in order to put up points and win majors, your game has to be well-rounded and better than everybody else on a four-day stretch. And I think a lot of focus is going to be maybe unfairly put on his driving distance. Um, I mean, I started here talking about his driving distance, so I'm guilty of it as well. It is something that needs to be looked at, but you can't take away from some of the work he's doing after the fact. I mean hitting it 325 yards every single drive, you know, take some of the the earlier, the shorter bunkers out of it. It can take some of the curves out of it. On one of the last few holes, he literally just lined up against the edge of the fairway and bombed it, and it took some of the, the difficult turn out of those holes. Um, but you can't take away from the quality of play in some of his short game. He's a strong, beefy dude, so him hitting it in the bunker or sorry him hitting it uh in the rough isn't the same as like me hitting it in the rough uh, he's able to just kind of club up muscle down and, and get it where it needs to go so an impressive weekend for him you look forward to seeing what he's capable of doing as it continues to progress i think you're going to start seeing a lot more players emulate some of the scientific approach you're going to see a lot more younger players probably adopt some of these you know engineer type mindsets uh i know when he agreed to play in the u.s uh or sorry in the the 3m open uh last year yeah last year in december uh he only did so agreeing to meet with uh the company itself because he wanted to discuss technology and now you start seeing 3m all over the place it says you know i don't, I don't remember exactly what the quote is but something about science you know in real life but basically he wanted to be there he wanted to talk about ball flights he wants to talk about nanotechnology how that might work in the game so 
if you take a guy who's that skilled to bomb the ball that far, give him a little science behind it on top of what he's already doing with the clubs that are out there, it sets it up for, you know, some pretty scary possibilities. And it'll be interesting to see what this turns into down the road, if there are any changes that can be made. But uh, I think this was, for me, one of the better tournaments so far. I think it was the best major so far, just the test it put on on the players. And I kind of hope going in the next few years, we start seeing a little bit more of these because it's, it is fun to watch, you know, rounds where they put up, you know, 10 under or more, but you know, it's like going to baseball games, trying to watch, you know, the home run ball. Eventually those scores start losing some of their impact on the fans because now you've seen it a million times versus, you know, vintage tiger who could shape shots yes he hit the ball very far all the time but in his prime he was known more for shaping his shots or someone like a jordan spieth who you know there's a change that has to happen there some loyalty to his coach and his caddy that i think might need to be maybe put in check for a little while i think those two guys should do him a favor and suggest to him that he tries another coach or another caddy just to shake things up because he keeps showing Little flashes in the pan, and then the bottom falls out, and he looks just completely lost. Um, but in the prime of his success, he wasn't hitting the ball long. He was hitting, you know, 280 to 300 on most drives, but it was his short game, his approach, his putting. His putting was just unreal, and I'd like to see more tournaments getting back to highlighting those kind of plays because if you have guys who can hit it, 450 yards at any point or if they're averaging 340 350 yards and you're up against you know a couple 450 yard par fours or you know a short par five it's just an eagle party or a birdie party and it's just not as fun for me to watch i know that's old crotchety tim talking but for me I'm here for the skill and I know these guys got a lot of skill. So let's start showcasing that a little bit more, but shout out to Bryson. Hell of a weekend. Um, way to turn the corner and really show that he deserves to be where he's at. First win, only player on Sunday under par. Uh, first to win a major is the only player to shoot under par in the final round since 1955, which is crazy. And it's the fifth largest margin of victory. It's, at the U.S. Open uh, since, like, World War II, I think is what I was reading. It's it's unreal what he's done. Um, Come on. Good for him. Hopefully the, the final major of the year coming up in a couple weeks uh, has a similar showing. Uh, it was nice to, see, nice to see, you know, one of the same guys not take it. You expected a, a Thomas or a John, uh, Dustin Johnson or Rory, who's been playing well as of late, to come in and kind of run away with it, but you know, even though Bryson's part of the conversation pretty much regularly, to see someone who hasn't won it before and to see a 21-year-old sort of flirt with uh, victory there, even going into the last day and even, you know, through portions of the final day, that was fun to watch. So I'm rooting for a little bit more of that. Great weekend in golf. Hoping we get a little bit more. Um, really looking forward to next season with all these guys playing as well as they are. Uh, and we're hoping for, obviously... A, a turnaround for Tiger and we'll still be pulling for Jordan but great weekend all together yeah Sam that's episode 20 I think we got to as much of the of the sports as uh, as we possibly could 
of course we're leaving some other stuff behind, right? There's been tennis matches that have gone on. There's been a lot of things. Social justice wise have gone on tour de France happened. And I felt like I was asleep for that. I, I didn't even, I mean, there's a young mm-hmm. guy that won it and I, we didn't even really talk about it. So yeah. we know that there's plenty of sports going out there. The ones that are taking most of our attention are kind of the ones that we've, you know, we've really been looking forward to this entire time. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to talk about those sports coming forward for sure. But I think we're kind of hitting a bit of a stride here. You know, these two episodes uh, per week, we we obviously see it. You guys responded to it. So we're going to be in a podcast so that people keep it going and and keep this Stats Don't Matter train rolling. That's right, everybody. Thanks for listening once again. Uh, we're coming off of our biggest week last week. Um, really appreciate the support. It does take a lot of work to get these things out. So we're glad that, you know, there are some of you guys that seem to be enjoying it. Um, or if you aren't enjoying it, you're a glutton for punishment because we get a lot of people still listening to it. So, yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, we look forward to kind of keeping this up over the next, uh, you know, however long you guys want to listen to us. Oh yeah. And special shout out to the people that are rating, uh, the podcast, mm-hmm. giving us those five star ratings. We really appreciate that. Especially the latest one from Ms. Hunt. Uh, <laughs> you know, she said, uh, Gordy may, you know, my husband maybe download it. Uh, shout out. I, I served with, uh, with Gordy in the army uh you know seahawks and patriots uh fan married you know just sort of like uh myself and chelsea so uh, we really appreciate the downloads we really appreciate the ratings the listens everything uh, all the fans of the sass matter podcast so keep those ratings coming in and we're going to keep putting the hard-hitting content out for real that's right hope you guys have a great weekend Peace. see you next see you next week <laughs>